I'd encourage you to just try to think of something you want to exist in the world and try to build it. There are enough resources online where you could figure it out. This week, I speak to entrepreneur and angel investor, Daniel Gross, who is well known for being a partner at Y Combinator. Prior to YC, Daniel co-founded Q, a personal search engine that was acquired by Apple. And just recently, Daniel started Pioneer, an experimental fund that breaks down barriers to find the next great humans through tournaments and mentorship. Daniel is also a very successful angel investor who funded Coinbase, Cruise, GitHub, and Opendoor. In this week's episode, we talk about being admitted into Y Combinator at just the age of 18, the launch of his new company, Pioneer, the importance of celebrating victories, and how to create life-changing opportunities. Well, thank you, Daniel, for joining today on the show. Corey, thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So I'd like to start out by asking a little bit about your childhood. What was high school like for you? High school for me was both good and bad. I was not the popular kid in school. I was by no means was it a blast. I was kind of picked on and I was a little bit of, of a loner. But it was fascinating because I fell in love with the thing that I still do today in high school. And in that sense, I'm very grateful for the experience that I had which was programming. I started programming when I was very young. And throughout high school, I started to spend more and more time on it. Programming, unlike kind of any other thing I'd tried previously, like chemistry or biology, required basically almost no setup. And more importantly, none of the adults could really stop you or, or give you the rules. You could do anything you wanted. You could build anything you wanted. You know, if you're kind of curious about chemistry, you have to go buy ingredients. You got to make sure not to, you know, burn the house down. But in programming, there were no limits. And so I spent the majority of my kind of high school years, in all honesty, just kind of waiting to get home where I would, you know, boot up my the hand-me-down computer that I got from my dad and just try to build stuff. And so that, that was kind of the experience for me you know, overall socially in high school. And were you learning on YouTube? Were you learning on what was like the first thing you built? When I was in high school, there, there was no YouTube. I was learning online mostly by Googling stuff. You know, many people today talk about building a kind of nails primer for the world, a thing that will educate the masses, a Khan Academy, if you will. But I found the best kind of version of that was Google itself. I originally got into programming, in all honesty, because I was very curious about winning a video game, believe it or not. I was really curious about memory management because I wanted to freeze the amount of health I had because I couldn't figure out how to beat this one boss in a video game. And that led me down this rabbit hole of learning how computer games save variables, like how much ammo you have and how much health you have. And I learned how to freeze some of that. And once once that Pandora's box opened, it kind of never stopped. I was always very curious to build things that other people would use. I think there's a lot of folks that are very interested in research for research sake. I was always very interested in making things for others that they enjoy, that I would enjoy. And so I started building websites. And this is before the iPhone era. So there weren't really apps, but trying to do different things. And throughout high school, actually, with a friend of mine, I started a kind of a web consultancy shop where we would build websites for other folks. And it was kind of nice to have a little bit of uh, you know, free cash flow suddenly, you know, coming into my life. And the general way I taught myself to build things was very experiential. My dad taught computer science in Jerusalem, Israel, where I grew up, but I learned from the environment, not necessarily directly from him. And it's something I'd recommend, you know, if anyone's listening to this podcast and, and they feel like programming is out of reach, not something that they can do, or they have to go to a boot camp. 
I mean, I actually think out of all the disciplines, it's relatively easy to get to a point where you can really enjoy it. I'd imagine getting kind of to that point with physics or math is actually significantly more difficult. And the reason why is because with programming, you can make mistakes and you learn about them really quickly. The feedback loop is very tight. You write something, it does what you want to do or not, and you learn instantly. And you can kind of learn and iterate. And so if you're listening to this podcast and kind of wondering if you should get into coding, I'd encourage you to just try to think of something you want to exist in the world and try to build it. There are enough resources online where you could figure it out. Agreed. And so you were programming, you were making you know, websites for others, use your, one of your first businesses. How did you hear about Y Combinator? And tell us that story. Yeah. So me and a few friends of, of mine kept on building different stuff, different startup ideas and websites. And I heard about YC towards the end of high school. My dad sent me an article about them. And it sounded weird and strange and foreign at the time. And after high school, I started to get ready to enlist in the Israeli army. And on a total whim from, you know, kind of Israeli military bunker in the middle of nowhere, I applied to YC from my old Nokia phone. Vividly remember trying to tether it to my laptop and just waiting for the application page to load. And I applied with an idea that we were working on at the time that was kind of like Pinterest. And me and my friend ended up getting accepted into YC. And I packed my bags and decided to at the time, I didn't really realize what I was doing. I thought I was just coming to the US for a three-month program. But I ended up at that very moment, you know, really changing my life. And, you know, I, I did that when I was 18 years old. I think at the time, it, I was the youngest founder. I didn't really even think I'd get in. And now I'm here in Silicon Valley, you know, eight years later. So the, so the insight here is that these big life decisions that can really shape you and turn you into, you know, who you are seem very small and innocuous. I didn't really think that I was going to change my life. I thought I was going to grow up, you know, continue to be a good old Orthodox Jew from Jerusalem. It was really a simple step that dramatically changed who I am. I think the important lesson is to just be very opportunistic in life. And if some interesting opportunity presents itself to you, I wouldn't overthink it. The downsides are often significantly larger in your head than they are in reality. Is there anything that, that you would tell your younger self, your 18-year-old self, do you think people should try to systematically create these small opportunities that could become life-changing? Yeah, I think the largest gift that I got out of YC that I'm now kind of trying to pay it forward with to an even greater degree with Pioneer is that I finally took myself seriously because someone told me to. And I wish I had done that earlier on in life. I always had the inkling of you know different ideas ideas, projects I should do, but I always felt like I needed permission from someone to do it. Things never really left the realm of the shower thought. And at some point when I came out here, I was both inspired enough, and more importantly, I was I was kind of told by grown-ups to take myself seriously. And my goal really with here today, to your point, is to tell that to not just my younger self, but millions of younger selves around the world. Because I believe that for every Einstein, Marie Curie, Elon Musk, or Steve Jobs, there are millions more that never really almost get tricked into believing themselves. And what I want to try to do is with software, try to identify these people and kind of motivate them to take whatever project they're working on. And this could be research, a startup, art, music, to take whatever project that is a little bit more seriously. Because I think the world can support thousands, even millions more 
of artists, civic activists, journalists, and entrepreneurs. That's wonderful. Congratulations on the launch of Pioneer. How long ago did you launch it? And tell us a little bit about the current stats. Yeah, so Pioneer launched in August. It's really only been live for a couple of days, given that we're now on the 5th of September. So far, it's been and far better than we expected. We've had thousands of people apply all over the world, almost 100 countries. And you really end up getting kind of what we wanted, people in the nooks and crannies of the planet, both in small cities in the US, but also in small countries, you know, like Croatia or Nigeria. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily mean small by landmass. I mean, small in the sense that you don't see a lot of these founders typically, or a lot of these researchers typically. And, you know, a very common thread amongst all of the applicants are all of these are folks that are just desperate for opportunity. You know, the life around them seems a little too bland. They've spoken to everyone they can speak to in their local town or city, and they've read all the books at the library. And they read online about this uh, magical world of, depending on their industry, either Silicon Valley or, you know, say biology in, in over in Boston or you know, journalism and media in New York, and they don't know how to access it. They're desperate for opportunity. And it's humbling to read these applications at the, at the scale that we've been getting them because you realize there are many of these people. And I think we've, you know, we've kind of hit a nerve because, you know, we didn't do that much. We kind of, you know, had a great New York Times article, but ultimately people, I think, found out about it, told their friends about it, and, and are, are kind of very eagerly tried to clamor their way in. So, We've just been kind of trying to struggle with the load that we've been getting and making sure that the various software elements of what we built that are going to help us kind of screen these people are actually working properly. And so the work at Pioneer to date is it's actually very interesting. It's equal parts kind of software engineering and psychology and kind of gamification. A lot of thinking about are we setting up the right incentive structures to promote the right activity? If someone would be looking at this UI, would they be motivated to do a particular thing? So in many ways, it's been an intellectual dream to work on and very emotionally rewarding work. I previously had started a company that came out of YC that got acquired by Apple. And I will say the largest difference so far between this startup and that one is just the level of emotion in it. And we're getting, you know, letters and emails from people across the world thanking us for starting this, really kind of begging for opportunity. It was very different from running a search engine, which is what I was doing previously. And how many grants do you anticipate giving this year? Our goal is to run the selection game that we started. We call it the Pioneer Tournament once a month, which is quite ambitious. You know, I hope we'll be able to do it. It's involved so far a lot of sleepless nights and weekends. And we're going to start small. So I think, you know, the first tournament, you know, we'll reward half a dozen or maybe a dozen or so. And then we'll kind of grow from there. I think it's really important that we end up building a really solid community because ultimately what we're trying to do here is kind of give the benefits, the important benefits of the Ivy League to people through the internet. So I don't believe that the largest needle mover that you get from the Ivy League is the curriculum. I, like I mentioned earlier, I think for many different industries, you can learn a lot online. I think the benefit of the Ivy League is the network, the community, and the brand. And we're trying to scale that to thousands, tens of thousands of people. So as a result, it's really important that our first few cohorts are rock solid because we're really trying to build a city here, a kind of digital city. And you know, you kind of want to make sure that your early settlers are, are really great people. 
And how many people have you spoken to? I know a lot of this is supposed to be meant for, you know, the game and the software to pick out the cohort members, but how many projects have you reviewed or founders have you spoken to through Pioneer? I mean, at this point, too many to count. Basically, the way my day works is any spare second I have is, you know, trading emails with these people that are emailing me, reading applications that come in. We're trying to hire people to help us kind of deal with the inbound load that we're getting because we're struggling to kind of keep up with the traffic. Now, you do raise an interesting question, which is to what degree should we be communicating with these people versus kind of just letting software do all the work? The goal of Pioneer is to scale to kind of true internet level volume that I don't think anyone has tried to do this previously. You know, the Pell Grant, the Teal Fellowship, any all of these grant research, DARPA grants, they take forever to apply to. And, you know, they're kind of not that much better than the Ivy League. They have five or six people reading thousands of applications. That's no good. So we're really trying to scale this with software. That being said, there's a lot to be said for the human touch, right? And so as a result, we've actually brought on a panel of experts, people that are incredibly notable in their industry. So Stephen Wolfram, say for mathematics, or Patrick Collison, or Mark Andreessen for startups, Tyler Cohen for economics. And we are going to have these folks both review and interact with some of the most promising pioneers in order to both marry that kind of human touch with the internet scalability. And over time, I suspect we'll do even more of this. You can kind of imagine some type of peer-to-peer mentorship taking place, which is both tremendously scalable and also affords person-to-person interaction. That's incredible. That's awesome. And, and something that you mentioned is, you know, you, you were kind of afraid to apply to YC. You weren't sure if you're ready yet. Similarly with Pioneer, I imagine people might be a little afraid to apply. They're not ready for Mark Andreessen or, you know, the founder of Stripe to, to review their application. What do you say to that? And what are some of the things that you wish you had started doing more of early in your life, specifically like actions or activities with compounding effects? Yeah, I'm so happy you brought that up. Look, the largest enemy for a project like ours is self-editing. Is someone thinking, gosh, this isn't for me. And we've tried really hard to reduce the odds that that happens. I mean, and I say this all the time, and it's on the website. It's really for things that are in the project phase. If you have a small company and you want to grow that company, you should apply to YC and and you kind of enjoy the benefits of this program. This is really for people that aren't even sure if they have a company yet. They just have an inkling of an idea. And I'm hopeful that as a result of that, people don't feel like they have to self-edit. The other really important thing to mention to folks about the program is if you don't win one tournament, you could always reapply the next month. You could keep your account. You could make a fresh account. Both options work for us. We don't hold it against you if you previously haven't won a tournament. And so my hope is that we'll have people that apply you know, that play five, six, seven tournaments, you know, before finally getting in. And to them, that's an educational opportunity. You know, one of the fascinating things that happens as part of the system is one of the ways throughout the tournament, your score goes up is by having other prospective applicants review your work. So as an applicant, you're both submitting kind of status updates about how you're doing on your particular goal and rating other people's updates. One of the reasons we did that is because it's a wonderful way to get motivated by what others. So potentially this could be a a kind of an educational tool to someone who isn't even taking their project very seriously, but is curious about what others are doing. And if you had like a, a magic wand and you could, you know, fast forward five years from now, what does Pioneer look like? Well, I'll tell you that certainly that 10 years from now, my goal is that the next great set of innovators from J.K. Rowling to Barack Obama to Elon Musk to to Corey, all are pioneers and importantly, 
credit pioneer with their success. You see, we're not just trying to get people who would otherwise be great early on in life. We're trying to create greatness where it wouldn't exist without us. We're trying to create more of these extraordinarily productive people. I think the lack of kind of highly productive people is one of the greatest bottlenecks on societal growth today. And so we want to make dramatically more of those. So, you know, if 10 years from now, you end up with basically, you could imagine a lot more verified Twitter accounts, you know, extremely prolific people in very different domains. And we help convince those people they should kind of take themselves seriously. You write that on my tombstone and, and I'll pass out. That'll make me really happy. So that's our goal. With respect to creating greatness, for the people that aren't able to win the competition, you know, let's say they try month one, month two, month three, and don't win, what are some of the things you think they should be doing to create a better chance of you picking them? What we want to do is we want to give people feedback, very specific feedback about, you know, if they don't win the tournament, why didn't they win? I think the answer to this is very kind of domain specific. Maybe you were working on something that didn't seem immediately obvious or useful to anyone else. And so, you have to get better at communicating what you do. Maybe you're brilliant at communicating, but there's just no value. You know, people don't just see the value in, in what it is. So I think there'll be different scenarios in terms of what you can improve. What we'd like to do is, again, kind of with software and crowdsourcing, give people structured feedback about how they could improve in a positive manner. You know, feedback is a potent thing because I think given improperly, it's a little bit like that crazy fish that they eat in Japan, fugu, that could like kill you if you don't slice it properly. But as apparently I've never had it very pleasant if you do operate on it properly. And so we have this very potent thing that could either be used as a wonderful gift or a weapon. And we want to make sure that it's it's kind of dosed in the proper way. And so we're kind of working on ways to instrument that in software. The other thing I should mention is the grand plan for Pioneer would also be to create kind of gamification techniques that work at scale, even for people that don't become pioneers. Imagine a kind of Fortnite or Instagram, like a really motivational product that gets people out of bed. But instead of getting them to, you know, play video games or take photos, it's getting them to kind of be more productive. We're experimenting with a lot of different things. And my hope is that one of the things that come out of Pioneer is this kind of grand game, almost kind of awesomeness or productivity. And maybe that applies to everyone in the world, not just people who end up becoming pioneers. Right. And what's the, what's the strangest, most unique thing you do to perform at a high level? <laughs> most of the self-optimization rabbit holes I'm aware of, I have a weakness to them, which comes out of, I think, a bad personality trait, which is I'm very hard on myself individually. And I, I could never figure out if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But the latest thing I'm up to... Let's see. The latest thing, I'll tell you something I did recently. Yeah, I obviously went through, cycled through all of the fad diets, you know, be it Atkins to keto to carnivore. The most useful one for me that was useful until it became awful was an elimination diet. This is actually really easy to maintain as opposed to doing things like really long fasts or intermittent fasting where you're kind of managing your willpower. All you do on an elimination diet is you pick four or five kind of relatively healthy staples, and you only eat those for as long as possible. I did this for about a month. And it's a little tricky in social situations. You either got to bring your food or eat before and after because restaurants don't work. I mean, they're always going to put in you know something weird in the dressing. But I felt dramatically better. And the reason I did this wasn't because I want to spend my entire life eating you know broccoli and cauliflower. 
but it's because I wanted to find out what were the things that are causing some inflammation in my body, which was affecting my mood in a negative way. I think we all have moments where certain days you eat lunch and I mean, you feel you're feeling real slow and then other days you eat lunch and you feel fine. My goal is to really spend the next few years of my life figuring out all of the defaults. I want to have frameworks for everything because I suspect later on in life, you know, as I start raising maybe a family, having responsibility to others, I won't have enough free time to optimize this stuff. I won't have time to make mistakes. So right now is the kind of optimizedly A-B test era of my life. The kind of, you know, production system era is is later on. And so I'm trying to find the, the particular thing, you know, and, it, and I suspect it may be really subtle, like sulfites or garlic that really takes me off because I know it's out there. So the most recent hack was an elimination diet. And I recommend it to folks. The one small way it was actually really bad is for a bunch of other reasons, I wasn't eating meat. So I was only eating fish. I highly recommend if you do an elimination diet, you do not do that because I ended up almost getting mercury poisoning from it. But that's one hack that isn't quite that popular today that I think will get very popular soon. And how is 18-year-old Daniel different than mid-20s Daniel? What are some of those other things that you've optimized for and learned about yourself? Gosh, so different. I mean, I think many people probably listening to this podcast, and we've spoken about this trait between the both of us in the past, we look back on our past self with embarrassment, right? You know, we, we, I'm sure you've dramatically changed who you are. And I know I go back and I read old emails I wrote and I think to myself, who is that person? It may be more interesting to invert your question. In what ways am I similar to my younger self? Because I think I've changed in more ways than I've been similar. And I think one thing that I always did a lot of that I still do is just endless introspection, constantly kind of wondering, what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? How could I improve? And I'm chewing on it probably, again, more than I should. Is that every Um, day, every week? Every oh, ev- like every minute. I mean, it's it's a mental thought pattern, right? I think it in moderation, it's, it's very good because my suspicion is like, I don't think I traverse the matrix, the dimensionality of options the fastest, but I think I am relentless at kind of battering at it. And so at some point, hopefully with slightly better odds than just flat out brute force, I managed to get to a good place. And this is everything for me. This has been my kind of story with food has been my story with working out has been my story with management with product development constantly wondering was this good enough how could it be improved how could it be made better the thing i'd recommend to anyone who does have this bug in their head that my old co-founder and very good friend robbie walker told me to highlight is you got to make sure you celebrate victories because otherwise you're living life like the biblical snake from adam and eve where all you're tasting is the taste of dirt on the ground and you're never enjoying anything And so you got to make sure when something great happens, you celebrate it to yourself. How do you celebrate those victories? How do you celebrate when thousands of people apply or, you know, you launch Pioneer? Classic answer to this question is, oh, you have a nice piece of chocolate or go out for a nice dinner. But of course, the thing all humans want that is the most fundamentally, the most permanent, scarce resource on the planet uh, is Bitcoin. No, uh, is... um, (laughs) is attention from other humans, right? That's really what we want. We just want to be kind of loved and and admired by others. And so if something great happens, I try to tell people about it. And obviously you don't want to become someone who's only interested in kind of promoting themselves and taking this to an extreme would be bad. I try to tell people about it because I hope that they'll find it interesting. And then that gets me thinking, well, gosh, how can I do things that people will find interesting and, and maybe kind of contribute to the world. And and I think that's a very healthy thing to optimize for. A lot of people kind of look down on, you know, they'll tell you, you shouldn't care what other people think. 
I don't know. Maybe you should. Like, maybe you should care about what the world around you thinks, the other humans around you thinks, because humans are fundamentally the most intelligent thing we've found. And until AGI comes, the most intelligent thing we've created. And so I kind of disagree with that. And that that's the way I celebrate is it could be a tweet. It could be telling someone a story. And the key, if you embrace the strategies, of course, always be attuned. Is what you're doing fundamentally interesting to the other person? Or are you just shamelessly promoting yourself? Because if you're doing the latter, boy, then that's a wonderful learning opportunity to do less of that and focus on something else. Right. And let's talk about some of the humans that you talk to and learn from. Who are like two or three people that, that you've learned from over the last couple of years or just that you, you know, picked their brains on Pioneer about? I'll start with the first bit. You know, In terms of people who shaped me, definitely Paul Graham is paramount. Weirdly, and in not the obvious way, it was not like in the brilliant startup strategy, which he's great at. It was more, as I mentioned earlier, in this kind of, you should take this seriously. This could get really big, a kind of emotional support way. And that, you know, that really almost radicalized me. So that's one. Another person I kind of have learned a lot from is my old co-founder, Robbie Walker, who runs Siri today at Apple. And I learned from him how kindness and empathy looks like. See, Robbie is just a fundamentally good person. You could survey his friends and you can kind of ask all of them for words that describe him. And that will come up as a kind of a repeated token. And I think there's an answer to this question that's much more cerebral. It feels like a core answer. You know, I learned X, Y, and Z. I don't know how to do X, Y, and Z from that person. But I actually think the most you can learn from people are these kind of pattern recognition algorithms almost that fire in your head that feel much more like system one, to quote Kahneman, as opposed to system two. And Robbie just skewed my personality a little bit more in that direction. The third person who really shaped me um, is probably Craig Federici, who runs software at Apple, who I think is one of the most brilliant software leaders in the world today. And it was, it's again, it's in 10,000 small things, observing kind of a great leader in action can make you a better person. Because I think what happens to me is when I'm in a situation where I got to make a strong call about, you know, deadline priorities, or I have to figure out how to manage a tricky situation, part of my brain is now thinking, you know, what would Craig be doing in the situation? And that was a very helpful mental model. Now, it's one small anecdote. If you're listening to this podcast, and you're thinking, great, I don't know who those people are, because I can't find them in the random corner of the world that I'm in. A great backup plan is to surround yourself with, you know, dead people. And by that, I mean, books, you know, I, I got the same kind of learning by osmosis, I feel like that I got from, say, Robbie and Craig, just by reading about other great titans of our time, you know, like John Rockefeller or Albert Einstein, it kind of it gets you in their glow a little bit. What are some of your all-time top favorite books? I love all of the Chernow books. Titan, the one about Rockefeller, is probably my favorite. I love most of Isaacson's books. Da Vinci is great. Einstein is great. Sadly, I think the Steve Jobs book is bad because he optimized for the free market instead of a great book. Sad, again, fault of capitalism. So it's, it's actually, I think, pretty boring to read. A book that I really recommend to people, especially early on in life, that Patrick Collison, my friend, recommended to me called Finite and Infinite Games. It's a weird one. And what you get out of it is not very easy to describe in words, but it, it gives you this mental model for basically kind of optimizing for the long term instead of the short term and actually becoming a better person. That's quite helpful if you're kind of a hyper-rationalist, which is a, a power slash ailment that I struggle with. Awesome. Daniel, this has been really wonderful. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you very much, Corey.